Pedos, murder, and the government spying. All that and more on tonight's Jay Sheldon Show. Hello, it's Friday. We are very pleased about that. It is Friday. Thank goodness. Hey, protect your online activity with the best and easiest VPN, NordVPN. Use the special link in our show notes and you will get an incredible dis- uh, discount and three months free. NordVPN. All right, all that plus George Orwell's 1984, which is turning out to be more prophetic than I ever expected. But right now, it is time for our update on Miko. Miko's our little Shiba Inu baby. And she's doing really, really well. In fact, she was so excited tonight, she got a pig ear. There is nothing else on the planet she loves more than a pig ear. And she sits there and she leaves it right in front of her. And she looks at you like, you want to take it? Try. And I will bite your face off. <laughs> she is. She's, she will tease you like that. Like, you, you want to play? But don't even try. Don't even come near because the teeth will come out. And that's her making an absolute mess on the couch. But, you know, there you go. Wherever she decides to eat it is where she's going to stay and you're not going to move her. So she's just about done chomping on the last little bit there. It takes her a while because those things are very, you can imagine. Anyway, her favorite treat on the planet, and she managed to get one tonight, the pig ear. Uh, our Miko update brought to you, of course, by the good folks at BarkBox.com slash Miko. That's our special link, which will get you when you sign up for a multi-month subscription a month free. Or in our uh, show notes, you'll see a second link. That's a limited time offer. It's going to end next week. Great toys for the summertime because summer's here. We all like to play with water. Your dogs included. Miko is a nutball when it comes to playing with water. And they've got some great fun toys from Fun Boy and BarkBox right there at that second link in our show notes. If you'd like a free one when you sign up, you just check out that second link and away you go. BarkBox.com, a box every month delivered to your door with two toys, two bags of treats, and a dog chew just for your dog. So check it out, BarkBox.com slash Miko. All right, we got a full show tonight, a full show tonight. And uh, like I said, pedophiles, murder, and the government checking in on you, Mm -hmm. and not in a good way. Here's a whacked out story, but I had to do this when I saw this headline. (laughs) A pedophile eats poison Snickers in court as a jury finds him guilty of child sex crimes involving partner's daughter. Oh my God. Yeah, there it is. I love Snickers. Well, maybe not poisoned ones. An Australian man snarfed down a poisoned Snickers bar in a courtroom as a jury was finding him guilty for child sex crimes. A man convicted of four serious child sex crimes that involved the daughter of his partner. The man said to be in his mid-70s 
was not named because it would allow the underage victim to be identified, because this was his partner's child. The Canterbury Times, Canberra Times reported, in an open address, Prosecutor Fiona Martin said it was alleged the offending took place between 1991 and 2000, while the girl was aged between four years old and 14 years old. Oh, my God. The man from the Australian city of Portland was in Warrnambool County Court in the state of Victoria Friday. And during the trial, the convicted pedophile took out a Snickers bar from his pocket. Uh, the crime reporter, Andrew Thompson, noticed the man began eating the Snickers candy bar. And Thompson said a bailiff told the man eating is prohibited in court. But the man just continued to eat the Snickers. He then told the custody staff he'd poisoned himself as he had laced the chocolate bar with rat poison. The man remained in custody despite his declaration and later collapsed in the police station, breaking a finger. According to the Daily Mail, the man transported to the Warrnambool Base Hospital where he was treated for poisoning. He spent time recovering in the hospital's intensive care unit, needed medication, and his condition improved, and he went right back to jail. He's scheduled to return to court September 11th, when he will face a preliminary sentence hearing. Wow. You'll remember last August, a Texas man did the same thing. He was uh, convicted of child abuse, drank a mysterious liquid that ended up being poison, and uh, chugged a bottle of water at the council table, pronounced dead at the hospital after he consumed this poison. So whatever it was, oh, sodium nitrate. Ooh, ow, that will do it. Anyway, that caused the man's death. And so there you go. Wow, that is insane. Ouch. Desperate times. But you know what? You want to play around like that? There you go. You want to play, you got to pay. Here's one for you. Now, hmm, this, I, yeah, I think I have to agree with this one. Check out this headline. A teenager, a teenager, here we go again, who wanted breast implants, went into cardiac arrest on the operating table and died 14 months later. Wow. Now, her plastic surgeon has been convicted of attempted manslaughter. Wow, there she is, and there is her surgeon. My goodness, what a beautiful girl. The plastic surgeon in Colorado has been convicted of attempted reckless manslaughter after a teenage girl in his care went into cardiac arrest before undergoing a breast augmentation and passed away 14 months later. She was 18 years old. Imanlin Nudyen, recent high school graduate, had her whole life ahead of her. She, accompanied by a, her mother, walked into a Colorado aesthetic and plastic surgery center near Denver so she could get uh, breast implants from plastic surgeon Dr. Jeffrey Kim. 
Uh, sadly, the scheduled procedure went almost immediately bad. Before the operation even began, nurse anesthetist Rex Meeker administered anesthesia to Nien, who went into cardiac arrest 15 minutes later and slipped into a coma. Damn. Medical team spent hours trying to revive her on the operating table. Uh, they leave her on the operating table for five minutes and a half hours. Uh, for, for five and a half hours. Not five minutes. Five and a half hours. And don't call 911. Five and a half hours, her mother sat in the waiting room and they never told her what was happening. Ouch. Doctors and nurses eventually succeeded in resuscitating her that day. And the consequences of the medical episode were so catastrophic, she suffered severe brain damage and had to be placed in a nursing home for 24-hour care. She did recover some functions very slowly, but then she contracted pneumonia and passed away in October of 2020. They were uh, initially both charged, the anesthetist and the plastic surgeon, uh, but the charges against the anesthetist were dropped after he agreed to give up his license and testify against Kim. Wow. After about five hours of deliberation, the jury found Kim guilty of attempted reckless manslaughter, a Class D felony which usually carries a sentence of up to three years in prison. He also was convicted of obstructing telephone services, a misdemeanor for neglecting to call police for five and a half hours. He was acquitted of manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide, and he is scheduled to be sentenced in September. My goodness. I mean... You're a gorgeous 18-year-old. You don't need breast augmentation. Okay, that's part of it, but man. And five and a half hours, they leave her there on that table. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <sighs> All right, give me a second here so we can tell you about one of our great sponsors, and that would include Blackout Coffee. I love this company. Blackout Coffee was founded on the principles of conservative values, and they make an amazing cup of coffee. It is the best coffee I promise that you will ever try. You've got to check these guys out. They are all about conservative values. Look at this. Who are we part of their website? America's strongest small batch coffee. Duty, family, values, and rights. You see that 2A right there on the package? That's not a brand or a blend. That stands for the Second Amendment. That's how much these guys are, yeah. Here's what you need to know about Blackout Coffee. It is all done in-house. They source premium specialty green coffee beans, graded at 80 points or above, and they're grown at the perfect altitude, perfect time of year, best soil, harvested at just the right time of year. And when you order, it is roasted and packed and shipped with lightning speed. You will get it at your door within 24 to 48 hours. So you get fresh roasted coffee beans, premium coffee beans. These guys are amazing. There's the owner, John Santos. 
who is all about America, conservative values. It was founded in Florida in 2018 uh, because they were tired of giving their money to coffee companies that didn't share our values. Yeah, exactly right. And they do their best to always never, always strong, never bitter. <laughs> there you go. A coffee for America's warriors. Uh, there's some of the folks who uh, help to contribute. And uh, they do a lot. They even support proudly the U.S. military, first responders. Blackout coffee is crazy good coffee. And instead of supporting all those buying coffee from those comp- those liberal left-wing loon bag companies, Blackout Coffee is the place to go. And if you use our link in the show notes, it's right down there, you will get an amazing discount. And I got your promo code too right there, JS20. You use that at checkout. J-A-Y-S-20, and you will get 20% off your first order from Blackout Coffee. J-S-20, don't forget that link, and indeed, you will get a great deal from the Jay Sheldon Show and from Blackout Coffee. Love these guys, and love their coffee, too. I'm a big coffee drinker. The U.S. is buying and storing data. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, but they're storing your data. That's the headline. Huh. What happened to the Fourth Amendment? Hmm? U.S. government's been clandestinely gathering a large amount of sensitive and intimate information on you and me, according to a report that's just been declassified. The report handed to Avril Haines, the director of national intelligence, by her own senior advisors, offers a discerning glimpse into the government's data hoarding activities. The report reveals what we feared most. Intelligence agencies are screwing the law and buying information about Americans. And Congress, the Supreme Court, have made it clear the government should not have done that. Wow. The government's been exploiting legal loopholes and leveraging archaic laws to create a ballooning surveillance behemoth, as they call it. They purchase data from commercial brokers. You know, we tell you about NordVPN and how to protect your data and stay safe on the net. This is what we're talking about, and this is why you need NordVPN. Because of this, they purchase data, your data, from commercial brokers. Now, the government claims it can persistently track the phones of millions of Americans without a warrant, sidestepping the Fourth Amendment, of course, which would normally require a warrant for that kind of surveillance. If they buy it from some outside commercial company, they skate for the first Fourth Amendment. Even more unnerving... The revelation that this data initially gathered was gathered for harmless reasons and it could be redirected for other objectives, if you know what I mean. Senator Ron Wyden of Ohio, Oregon rather, expressed grave concerns. He says, if using a credit card to buy an American's personal information voids their Fourth Amendment rights, then traditional checks and balances for government surveillance will crumble. 
Hate to tell you, pal, it's already crumbled, Senator. Critics are clamoring for an overhaul of what is called publicly available information. Please, for God's sakes, sign up for NordVPN. There's a link in our show notes tonight. Yes, they're a sponsor, but seriously, you need to protect yourself and your information. The report's advisors are critical of the status quo. They point out commercially sold data today is more revealing and available on more people, uh, less possible to avoid, and less well understood compared to conventional public information. The report signals alarms about the potential malvolent use of the amassed data for blackmail, stalking, public shaming. Chris Baumol, a law fellow at Epic, said, This report makes it clear the government continues to think it can buy its way out of constitutional protections using taxpayers' money. They are spying on you, my friends. They are gathering your data. They are sneaking an end around, avoiding the Fourth Amendment, unreasonable search and seizure. And your data is out there. We tell you every time we run one of these NordVPNs ads on our show about the dangers, here is exactly what we're talking about. Your data's out there. It is available. Sadly, it's likely already out there. But it's not too late to protect yourself and to uh, get yourself covered so they'll stay out of your business. NordVPN. The link's in our show notes if you want a, a hell of a deal, too, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> this is kind of a connected story. <clears throat> Hang on. Quick coffee break. Mm. Blackout coffee. All right. DHS, that would be the Department of Homeland Security. They sought to assign social credit style risk scores to social media users. Sound a little like uh, communist China? Mm, no, it sounds exactly like China. Social credit risk scores assigned to social media users. Wow. In a sharp spotlight on the interplay between national security and individual privacy, and these stories tonight about your privacy being invaded are insane. Newly disclosed documents have revealed DHS entered into a contract with the University of Alabama at Birmingham in 2018 to develop a project called Night Fury. Now, Night Fury was uh, designed to analyze and assign risk scores to social media accounts. The Brennan Center for Justice procured these documents through a public records request, and Motherboard was the first to report on them. Project Night Fury aimed at utilizing automation to detect and evaluate social media accounts for connections to terrorism, illegal opioid distribution, but also disinformation campaigns. What they consider to be disinformation. The DHS document said, this is a quote, the contractor shall develop these attributes to create a methodology for developing a ranking or risk score 
associated with the identified accounts. There's the actual document from Homeland Security. Project Night Fury had also been planned on incorporating involvement from Customs and Border Patrol, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, Transportation Security Administration, TSA, and the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service to provide cross-mission operational context, which means they're just going to grab everybody's information and stick it into one big pot where they can access it. Wow. Experts warned the DHS about difficulties and biases involved in automated judgment for these matters, citing characteristics like being pro-terrorist have no particular concrete definition. There is no real definition, black and white, about what a pro-terrorist might be. Frightening. But it's going on. It's been going on for a long time now, and they continue to skate the rules, skate your rights, say a big F you to the Constitution, and do whatever they can to spy on you, to steal your data, and to put you on a list. Because ultimately, that's all they want. They want you on a list. And here we go again in New York. Unbelievable. You know, we just had the fellow who uh, who used the uh, carotid hold on the fellow who was this psychopath on the subway in New York. It's happened again. Absolutely freaking ridiculous story. And here we go. A man accused of fatally stabbing an ex-con on a subway train says he was acting in self-defense. The ex-con allegedly hit the accused in the face amid an argument before the pair wrestled on the floor. And there he is being perp-walked. Man accused of fatally stabbing an ex-con on a New York City subway train earlier this week said he was purely acting in self-defense. Well, you have to know that you're not allowed to do that anymore in New York. You're not allowed to defend yourself or you'll get charged. The ex-con allegedly hit the accused man in the face amidst an argument before the pair were wrestling on the floor. Jordan Williams, he's 20 years old, he's from Queens, and he was charged with manslaughter and criminal possession of a weapon in connection with Tuesday night's fatal stabbing of 36-year-old DeVictor Odrego from Brooklyn. Police sources told the station... But Williams is claiming self-defense. He said uh, Ordrego was violently harassing passengers on the J train. In addition, a witness told the New York Post that prior to being stabbed, he took off his shirt, and I heard him say he was going to erase someone. The witness added to the paper that after Williams got on the train and sat down beside a young woman across from two older women, he said something to one of the women across from Williams. Williams rolled his eyes, and one of the women told Odrego something to the effect of, mind your own business, or you stay out of it. Williams then quietly told Odrego something like, you need to chill, or you need to relax. Amidst a growing argument, the witness told the Post that Odrego cracked Williams in the face, Sources also noted to the paper, Odrego was punched, uh, also punched one of the women in the face. 
They started wrestling on the floor. Witnesses say uh, who ran to another car with other passengers. From the other car, witness noticed to the paper, we didn't see Williams pull out the knife, but it looked like he punched him in the chest. Then Odrego walked through the car doors into the car where everyone was. I backed up and he had a hole in the center of his chest and it was pumping blood and he had a glossed over look in his eyes. He consequently died. And this guy is now charged in New York. So, no defending yourself, folks. Can't do it. You're not allowed. Just let the bastards do whatever they're going to do. And you suffer the, you know, it means it might even wind up killing you. But God forbid you should actually manage to uh, defend yourself. Here's one from the Epic Times. It's California. And again, normally every California story is a head shaker. But no doubt about it. No two ways about it. Well, this is kind of, but it's the reverse kind of head shaker. A lawmaker in California is telling fellow Californians to get out, flee the state after a bill favoring gender-affirming parents in child custody disputes. Wow, California senator suggested at a packed Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on a pro-transgender bill that fighting to preserve parental rights in the state is a lost cause and advised if you are a parent in California, you should leave if you know what's best for your kids and your family. And he even said himself that once his time in the legislature is done, he's getting the hell out himself. <laughs> in the past, Wilk said he encourages people to keep fighting to protect parental rights, but not anymore. Quoting here, he says, I've changed my mind on that. If you love your children, you need to flee California. You need to flee we are moving towards the pathway of the handmaid's tale. California is becoming the new Gilead. And like I said, he himself said after his time in the legislature, he's planning on getting the hell out himself. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, look, there's some good news. We talked about the importance of you getting yourself to NordVPN. And they just happen to be another sponsor tonight. Give me a few minutes, a minute here to tell you about this. They're one of our sponsors. They, uh, they, want to, uh, they want to talk to you here on the show. Digital Age, we just heard the story. It is frightening. We started off with that tonight. And NordVPN is uh, the best way to, for you to protect your online privacy. The perfect solution. When Nord, with NordVPN, you can browse the web securely, privately. You don't have to worry about hackers, snoopers the government, or even your own ISP collecting your data and your information. Uh, Military-grade encryption technology at NordVPN, which means all of your data stays safe and confidential. Not only do they protect your privacy and your data, but it unlocks a world of online entertainment. 5,000 servers in 59 countries with NordVPN. You can access your favorite shows, Websites, streaming services from anywhere in the world. Protect your family and friends, too, because with a single NordVPN account, you can connect up to six devices. 
you, your partner, your kids, all your devices, up to six devices on a single NordVPN account. And if you use the link in our show notes down there uh, to check out NordVPN, you will get this incredible deal, a 59% off and three months free. That's a deal. Check it out, NordVPN, protect your privacy today. It just continues to be one of the most important things you do. Look, everybody is online, of course. Um, And when you're online, you need to make sure that your data is protected. And the chances are, it ain't. Get it protected. They're out there. They're gathering it. We just did two stories at the top of the show about this. Man, wow. All right. Here's another another one from California, and we get right back into it. It's a head shaker, as always. Seattle, sorry, it's Seattle, but, you know, Seattle, California, West Coast, same, same. A Seattle judge, get this, has ruled that the police must permit property damage. They are not allowed to enforce laws against graffiti and vandalism until further order of the court Seattle Police Department cannot take action on damage to property under this law <laughs> on Thursday yesterday Judge Peckman issued a clarifying order on the original injunction stated the city or police can prostitute those, uh, prosecute, <laughs> prostitute, eh, well, prosecute those who intentionally damage the property of others, and any such crime remains a gross misdemeanor. However, the preliminary injunction still applies to the enforcement of the prohibition on property defacement, graffiti. As a result, police cannot arrest someone caught vandalizing property with graffiti. According to the judge's orders, this was done to avoid criminalizing free speech. What? Serious. That's what this idiot judge says. Spray painting, vandalizing graffiti on something that isn't your property is free speech. We have, we have crossed the Rubicon. We are in Nutsville. This is insane. More details in our story there if you want to check it out. But, uh, man, it's a First Amendment violation. So you can't arrest somebody for spraying graffiti on your property. Oh, man, we really have lost... We've lost the the beat. This is crazy time. Crazy town. All right. Michael Knowles. You know Michael Knowles? He is an incredible broadcaster, does a great show. Well, YouTube, here we go. YouTube defends their banning of Michael Knowles for saying it's delusional to think that men can be women. The opinion for which YouTube banned him this week, uh, is not only true, but also a commonly held belief. 
There he is, the Michael Knowles Show. Does a great job. Check him out. Um, anyway, well, on Tuesday, the Daily Wire host broke down the multifaceted reasoning behind YouTube's decision to serve him a one-week suspension. Folks, why are you still on YouTube with these shows? Even Russell Brand, who's here with us on Rumble, he does his show on YouTube. I assume it's probably monetary. He's got a big audience there, and he's moved to Rumble, but he still wants to keep his YouTube show. So what he does, I guess kind of brilliantly, but I'd rather you just completely head over to Rumble like I did. He will start his show on YouTube, and then while he's doing that first 10 or 15 minutes of his YouTube and Rumble show, there's so many things he can't talk about. And he says, well, we're on YouTube, so I can't say this. I'll say it in a minute when we get on Rumble. Then he goes over to Rumble, and because Rumble is a complete free speech platform, you can say whatever you want within the bounds of law, of course. Off you go. And he's free to say whatever he likes that he's not free to say on YouTube. Knowles explained, according to YouTube, a number of his videos discussing topics related to far-left gender ideology contained hate speech. Now, here we freaking go. The content cited by the platform included calling the idea that men can be women delusional, referring to the notorious TikTok Dylan you-know-who as a he, and pointed out that uh, F-less Levi's Baphomet was androgynous. Okay. Uh, there he is on his tweet. I described the notion that men can be women as delusional. According to YouTube, this opinion, which has been held by virtually every person who's ever lived, implies that some groups are mentally inferior, and thus it constitutes hate speech. Ridiculous. So, they gave him a week suspension. Very nice. Well, Michael, if you haven't learned yet, get your ass over to Rumble. Get away from YouTube. Get your audience over to Rumble. They'll all happily join you over here. And we will welcome you with open arms. All right, I got one more tonight, and then we're going to get on to our book. <clears throat> For those of you in the audience who are Christian, I will tell you that, and I've been very open about this from the very beginning, I am not Christian. I am, for the most part, and mostly an agnostic, bordering on an atheist. Um... I just live my life by simple rules, be nice to others, help out when you can, and do the right thing. As long as you follow that, I think I'm pretty okay. However, I know there's a lot of Christian conservatives in our audience, and I thought this would fascinate you. Jeopardy. You know Jeopardy, right? you got to answer the question with a question. Check this out. Not one contestant on Jeopardy last night knew the answer to this. Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father, which art in heaven, this be thy name. Even if you're not Christian, the chances are you know the answer to this. Not one of the contestants on Jeopardy knew the answer. You know what it is? You can put it in the chat. Of course. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the answer to the question for Jeopardy would be, what is hallowed? Nobody knew. They did not know. Like the most basic thing of the Lord's Prayer. And like I said, even if you're not Christian, 
chances are you probably know this. Scary stuff. Unbelievable. Not a single contestant knew the answer. Wow. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, it is time to get on with our book. We're reading George Orwell's <clears throat> 1984. We read books on this show. We have always in the past done classic children's literature. Uh, Peter Pan, The Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, Alice in Wonderland. We've done tons of them. And then by a viewer's suggestion... Because of the nature of our show, he said, hey, why not read George Orwell's 1984? abso freaking and away we went. We're all the way up to like chapter 12 now, I think. And uh, we read a part of a chapter every night until we get to the end, and then we'll move on to another book. By the way, if you'd like to suggest, please do put it in the chat. Send me an email, show at jsheldon.com, or PM me on any one of my social media. You can see the list of all my social media accounts down there. Follow me subscribe, whatever. And by the way, while you're here, just check that little box right there. It says follow. Give that a click. It's free. Costs you nothing. Helps out the show a lot. Thank you so much for those of you who've done that. I really appreciate it. Just take a second, click that follow button. All right. So 1984, George Orwell, amazing book, very prophetic book. And here we go. There's been a lot of talk about tea lately. They've captured India or something, she said vaguely. But listen, dear, I want you to turn your back on me for about three minutes. Go sit on the other side of the bed. Don't go too near the window and don't turn around until I tell you. Winston gazed abstractedly through the muslin curtains. Down in the yard, the red-armed woman was still marching to and fro between the wash tub and the line. She took two more pegs out of her mouth and sang with deep feeling. They say the time eels all things. They say you can always forget. But the smiles and tears across the years, they twist my art strings yet. She knew the whole driveling song by heart. It seemed the voice floated upward with the sweet summer air, very tuneful, charged with a sort of happy melancholy. One had the feeling she would have been the perfect content if... The June evening had been endless and the supply of clothes inexhaustible. To remain there for a thousand years, pegging out diapers and singing rubbish. It struck him as a curious fact that he'd never heard a member of the party singing alone and spontaneously. It would have seemed slightly unorthodox, the dangerous eccentricity, like talking to oneself. Perhaps it was only when... People were somewhere near the starvation level that they had anything to sing about. You can turn around now, said Julia. He turned around and for a second almost failed to recognize her. What he'd actually expected was to see her naked, but she was not naked. That transformation that had happened was much more surprising than that. She'd painted her face. She must have slipped into some shop in the proletarian quarters and bought herself a complete set of makeup materials. Her lips were deeply reddened, her cheeks rouged, her nose powdered, and there was even a touch of something under the eyes to make them brighter. It wasn't very skillfully done, but Winston's standards in such matters weren't very high. 
He'd never before seen or even imagined a woman of the party with cosmetics on her face. The improvement in her appearance was startling. With just a few dabs of color in the right places, she'd not only become very much prettier, but above all, far more feminine. Her short hair, boyish overalls, merely added to the effect. As he took her in his arms, a wave of synthetic violets flooded his nostrils. He remembered the half-darkness of a basement kitchen, a woman's cavernous mouth. It was the very same scent that she'd used, but at the moment, it didn't seem to matter. Scent, too, he said. Yes, dear, scent, too. And do you know what I'm going to do next? I'm going to get a hold of a real woman's frock from somewhere and wear it instead of these bloody trousers. I'll wear silk stockings, high-heeled shoes. In this room, I am going to be a woman and not a party comrade. They flung their clothes off and climbed into the large mahogany bed. It was the first time he'd stripped himself naked in her presence. Until now, he'd been much too ashamed of his pale, meager body with the varicose veins standing out on his calves and the discolored patch over his ankle. There were no sheets, but the blanket they lay on was threadbare and smooth. The size and springiness of the bed astonished both of them. It's sure to be full of bugs, but who cares, said Julia. One never saw a double bed nowadays except in the homes of the proles. Winston had occasionally slept in one in boyhood. Julia had never been in one before, so far as she could remember. Presently, they fell asleep for a little while. And when Winston woke up, the hands of the clock had crept around to nearly nine. He didn't stir, because Julia was sleeping with her head in the crook of his arm. Most of her makeup had transferred itself to his own face or the bolster, but a light stain of rouge still brought out the beauty of her cheekbone. A yellow ray from the sinking sun fell across the foot of the bed and lit up the fireplace, where the water in the pan was boiling fast. Down in the yard the woman had stopped singing, but the faint shouts of children floated in from the street. He wondered vaguely whether, in the abolished past, it had been a normal experience to lie in bed like this. In the cool of a summer evening, a man and a woman with no clothes on, making love when they choose, talking of what they choose, not feeling any compulsion to get up, simply lying there, listening to peaceful sounds outside. Surely there could never have been a time when that seemed ordinary. Julia woke up, rubbed her eyes, raised herself on her elbow to look at the oil stove. Half that water's boiled away, she said. I'll get up and make some coffee in another moment. We've got an hour. What time do they cut the lights off at your flats? 2330. Well, it's 23 at the hostel, but you have to get in earlier than that because, hi, get out, you filthy brute. She suddenly twisted herself over the bed and seized a shoe from the floor, sent it hurling into the corner with a boyish jerk of her arm, exactly as he had seen her fling the dictionary at Goldstein the morning during the two minutes of hate. 
What was it? He said in surprise. A rat. I saw him stick his beady nose out of the wainscoting. There's a hole down there. I gave him a good fright anyway. Rats, murmured Winston. In this room? They're all over the place, said Julia indifferently as she lay down again. We've even got them in the kitchen at the hostel. Some parts of London are swarming with them. Did you know they attack children? Yes, they do. In some of these streets, a woman daren't leave a baby alone for two minutes. In the great huge brown ones that do that. The nasty thing is the brutes always... Don't, don't go on, said Winston, his eyes tightly shut. Dearest, you've gone quite pale. What's the matter? Do they make you feel sick? Of all the horrors in the world, a rat. She pressed herself against him wound her limbs around him, as though to reassure him with the warmth of her body. He didn't reopen his eyes immediately, but for several moments he had the feeling of being back in a nightmare which had recurred from time to time throughout his life. It was always very much the same. He was standing in front of a wall of darkness. On the other side was something unendurable, something too dreadful to be faced. In the dream... His deepest feeling was always one of self-deception, because he did in fact know what was behind the wall of darkness. With a deadly effort, like wrenching a piece out of his own brain, he could even have dragged the thing into the open. He always woke up without discovering what it was, but somehow it was connected with what Julia had been saying when he cut her short. I'm sorry, he said. It's nothing. I don't like rats, that's all. Oh, don't worry, dear. We're not going to have the filthy brutes in here. I'll stuff the hole with a bit of sacking before we go. Next time we come here, I'll bring some plaster and bung it up properly. Already the black instant of panic was half forgotten. Feeling slightly ashamed of himself, he sat up against the bedhead. Julia got out of bed pulled on her overalls and made the coffee. The smell that rose from the saucepan was so powerful and exciting they shut the window lest anybody outside should notice it and become inquisitive. What was even better than the taste of the coffee was the silky texture given to it by the sugar, a thing Winston had almost forgotten after all the years of saccharin. With one hand in her pocket, and a piece of bread and jam in the other. Julia wandered about the room, glancing indifferently at the bookcase, pointing out the best way of repairing the gate-legged table, plumping herself down in the ragged armchair to see if it was comfortable, and examining the absurd twelve-hour clock with a sort of tolerant amusement. She brought the glass paperweight over to the bed to have a look at it in a better light. He took it out of her hand, fascinated as always by the soft, rain-watery appearance of the glass. "'What is it, do you think?' said Julia. "'I don't think it's anything. I, I mean, I don't think it was ever put to any use. That's what I like about it. It's a little chunk of history that they've forgotten to alter. It was a message from hundreds of years ago, if you know how to read it. And that picture over there, she nodded at the engraving on the opposite wall. Would that be a hundred years old? More. 
200, I'd say. No one can tell. It's impossible to discover the age of anything nowadays. She went over to look at it. Here's where that brute stuck his nose out, she said, kicking the wainscoting immediately below the picture. What is this place? I've seen it somewhere before. It's a church, or at least it used to be. St. Clement Danes was its name. The fragment of rhyme that Mr. Charrington had taught him came back into his head, and he added half nostalgically, Oranges and lemons say the bells of St. Clement's. To his astonishment, she capped the line. You owe me three farlings, say the bells of St. Martin's. When will you pay me, say the bells of Old Bailey. I can't remember how it goes on after that, but anyway, I remember it ends up, here comes a candle to light you to bed, here comes a chopper to chop off your head. It was like two halves of a countersign. But there must be another line after the bells of Old Bailey. Perhaps it could be dug out of Mr. Charrington's memory if the, he were suitably prompted. Who taught you that? he said. My grandfather. He used to say it to me when I was a little girl. He was vaporized when I was eight. At any rate, he disappeared. I wonder what a lemon was, she added inconsequently. I I've seen oranges. They're a kind of round yellow fruit with a thick skin. I can remember lemons, said Winston. They were quite common in the fifties. They were so sour, you set your teeth on edge even to smell them. I'll bet that picture's got bugs behind it, said Julia. I'll take it down, give it a good clean some day. I suppose it's almost time we were leaving. I must start washing this paint off. What a bore. I'll get the lipstick off your face afterwards. Winston didn't get up for a few minutes more. The room was darkening. He turned over towards the light, lay gazing into the glass paperweight. The inexhaustible, interesting thing was not the fragment of coral, but the interior of the glass itself. There was a depth of it, and yet it was almost as transparent as air. It was as though the surface of the glass had been arched of the sky, enclosing a tiny world with its atmosphere complete. He had the feeling that he could get inside of it, and that, in fact, he was inside of it, along with the mahogany bed and the gate-leg table and the clock and the steel engraving and the paperweight itself. The paperweight was the room he was in, and the coral was Julia's life and his own, fixed in a sort of eternity at the heart of the crystal. And that is the end of chapter 12 of George Orwell's 1984. Coming up on Monday's show, we will continue on and begin chapter 13. Thank you so much, everybody. Be sure and hit that follow button right there. It really helps the show out a lot. It's free and easy for you to do. Check out all of our sponsors. Buy something. Help support our companies, which in turn helps support this show. We really do appreciate that. You get some great deals there. And uh, check them out. All right. That's it. I will see you again on Monday. Have a great weekend. <laughs>